I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker today. I know most of you know him, but I still like to give an honorary mention where honors do. Pastor Brent um, and the whole Lucy clan, which is sitting right over here, are so fantastic, such amazing people, and none of them want to be recognized, but I'm still going to recognize them. Uh, Brent and Kelly are both on our pastor advisory team. Brent is uh, over our missions. He's our missions coordinator. All three of their children are really actively involved in the youth. They're really a fantastic family, and there's so many things to glean from them just watching them be a family. But when we get an opportunity to hear Brent share the Word of God that God's put on his heart, uh, it'll really touch you and transform you. So would you stand with me for a second and welcome and put your hands together for Pastor Brent Lucy as he comes and shares. for a, a number of years, senior pastor. I'm not sure I've ever gotten a welcome quite like that with people standing and clapping. So you're welcome to continue if you want to, and, you know. Yeah. Oh, If you'll turn your Bibles to the, the book of Mark, I want to spend a few moments talking about a scripture that is, uh, is familiar to you, at least a story that, that's familiar to you. Um, if... Uh, if you haven't read it, then I'm sure you've heard it in a, in a um, Sunday school or, or a devotional or at some point you've, you've gleaned from this, uh, this story. It's uh, the only story in the New Testament that's told in all four, only, only miracles told in all four Gospels uh, with the exception of the resurrection. So it's a pretty significant story uh, from that standpoint. And so though it's familiar with us, I just want to take a minute and just kind of glean from it. While you're turning your Bibles, let me just remind you that Pastor Bobby is in China uh, it, just continue to pray for him. He's actually, it's tonight now, and he's actually with the Bountains. And so the Bountains have, dro- uh, have, have driven up to where he is, close, close in proximity. Um, and they're spending some time together tonight. And uh, there's just a, a real compact time of, of develop, leadership development and, and connections that he's making over there and then traveling back this week. So if you'll continue to pray for him, both physically, uh, that uh, the Lord will sustain him as well as spiritually. Uh, as they're as they're in a in a, in a um, place of great darkness and a place of great revival, and so if you'll be praying uh, praying uh, as he like he says he finishes up his time and travels back. Uh, so as you turn to Mark, let, let me just read this through, and I'm gonna stop a little bit along the way uh, to be able to give some background here. So in verse 30, it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they uh, did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, let me just stop and just give you a little background here, just so we can have a context for for what's about to happen. Jesus sends off his, uh, his group of disciples, and he sends them off in groups of two, and they're out ministering. They're out, uh, for, for, for lack of a better term, they're on a short-term mission trip is what they're at. And while they're gone, news comes to him that, that uh, John the Baptist had been beheaded, had been, had been executed. And so Jesus is dealing with this from an emotional standpoint. This was a friend. It was a relative of his. It was one that had gone before him and prepared the way. So this was a significant person in his life and it doesn't say much about kind of his own process with it, but he's going through a grieving time. And if you don't think Jesus is touched by loss, you can go back and, and read uh, where 
John had passed. And he wept over the loss, even though he knew he was about to speak over him and, and, and resurrect him. Yet the loss of that touched him very deeply. And so he's going through a grieving process personally. The disciples come back and they come back with loads of great stories of all the things that happened and, and the miracles that took place, the teaching and the open doors. And, and so they're sharing this moment. And if you've ever been on a short-term trip or, or a missions type experience, you know two things. One is you typically come back on a spiritual high. The other is you come back emotionally and physically exhausted, right? So this group right here, they're tired, emotionally, physically, uh, Jesus is in a very raw, emotional place with the news coming. They hadn't eaten. There's too much going on around them. So his recommendation is let's jump on the boat. Let's, let's go over to a, uh, uh, a solitary place, a remote place, so that we can just disconnect for a little bit. You know, it's important that we can just disconnect a little bit where we... We need to be able to fill up the tanks. If we don't, we can't keep running on empty. And so here, here they are on empty, and they said, you know, we just need to pull back. And so they get to a place that this, this is the general location where they were. Uh, it's across the northern part um, where the reds marked right there. It's a, it's a northern part of uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they're, and they're going over there as a, just a place to, 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 um, to fill up. It said in verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all over the town and got there ahead of him. This to me is like, and forgive me if this is an old analogy for, for, for the younger folks in the house, this is an old Rocky movie. You know, not, not, you know, if you go back about seven or eight movies to like one of the first ones, <laughs> maybe ten movies, I don't know, you know. And he's running through toward the end of the movies, running through the streets of Philly, and people start to recognize him because now he's got a name, right? Hey, Rock! And they jump in, and somebody starts running along with them, and then a couple other people jump in running behind him, and, and all of a sudden there's this huge group of people that are running with him down the street and up into the center of the town, and he, and he, and he gets up on the, 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 the uh, stairs of the middle of the city where the library is, and he's, you know, he's dancing around, everybody's screaming and dancing. And having, this is kind of that moment. Some people see Jesus and the disciples get in a boat, and they recognize, they recognize them, and they begin to run to the other side to see him. And it's not just a handful of people. Scripture says, we'll read it in just a minute, there were 5,000 men. Scholars believe when you count the women and children in there, there was upwards of 20,000 people that began to run around this lake from town to town. And it must have been kind of like that, where some people saw them, they began to run. As they ran, some other people saw them running and kind of jumped into the train there, you know, Someone probably said, you know, what's going on? You know, we're going to go see Jesus. And they're jumping in and they're all running and people are just not sure what's going on, but they don't want to miss out on the party. So they're in the thing and they're literally running around there to get to the other side. And then in verse 34, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a, loud, a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Other translations said he not only taught them the kingdom of God, but he healed the sick. And by this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to a surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, this would be more than a half of your wages. Are we going to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them, among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of fish and bread. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So let me take a few moments and just, there's lots we can glean from this. It's very rich, but let me just highlight a couple lessons that we can draw on. First one is this, God loves people. God loves people. And because he loves people, he desires to use people. And let's make it even more personal. God loves you. And because he loves you, he desires to work through you. And in doing so, he wants to shatter that, those pint-sized expectations of how God can work through us. Not what can God do here, but what God can do here. You know, what could God do through us? So I just want to take these one at a time and kind of talk through them. When Jesus showed up on the scene on the other side, and this crowd had, who had been running now, I'm, I, in my mind, are panting and kind of catching their breath as they've kind of gathered there. There's 20,000 of them roughly that are there. If, if, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, come on, people. We, we, we've just been ministering and ministering and ministering. We've had no food, and we just need a break. We just need a few minutes. We just need to catch our breath. We need to get the food. We li- need a little siesta. We'll be good to go. Just give us some time. That's not how Jesus responded. He, he, he got off the boat. One translation says he, he went up to the mountain, so he kind of went up to a high place. And he looked over the people and saw them, and their heart. his heart was filled with compassion. Pastor Bobby mentioned this. This, this idea of compassion before. Jesus is often moved with compassion. The word there, uh, it, it's a form of love, and it literally means to have bowels yearning. How about that picture? <laughs> bowels are the, 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 the deep core, that, that deep-seated place of our emotions and feelings, the core of our being. So somewhere in the core of Jesus' being, he's touched with compassion. It begins to rise up out of him, and out of that place... Uh, all that tiredness, all the emotional grief, all that he's going through, it, just, it all stops and he just begins to minister. And he just begins to pour out in teaching, healing, praying for the sick, and ministering and ministering and ministering. And he's obviously not letting up because at some point the disciple says, Wait, we, we got to pause here. We got to stop because these folks need some food. But he's just pouring himself out. I wonder if our life would be radically different if we really understood the depths of God's love for us. I mean, really got it. Really got how much God desperately loves us. Not based on what we can do for Him or what we've done for Him or what we bring to the table, but just based on who we are, where we are with all our insecurities, with all our struggles, with all our failures, with everything we are, if we really knew God loves us right now, right where we are. And we chose to live in that revelation. 
We live in the revelation that God loves me. I have his favor. I don't have to pray for his favor. I walk in his favor because he loves me. I, I have his attention. I don't have to somehow beg, Lord, can you just show up in this thing? God's there. I have of his attention. When we gather this morning, here's what I love. That crowd that gathered, I'm sure they gathered for all types of reasons. Just like we gathered this morning, we gathered for all types of reasons. Some folks came in today because you were hungry to receive something from God. I'm here today because I was asked to preach. I had no choice. Some people came because it's just what Sunday morning is. You just go to church. All right? It's what you do. So you get up and go to church. Some people were dragged here. There's some young people that maybe wanted to sleep in this morning. No, we got to go to church. It's not, you can't sleep in. Come on, let's go. So we may have all come for different reasons, but the reality is when we gather together and begin to sing and begin to worship God, it captured God's attention. Right? He stopped. Whatever was going on, he stopped and just gave his attention right here. Tonight, when you get home and, 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 and you gather around, whether it's beside your bed before you go to bed or you gather as a family and just pray together, God stops. The compassion of God rises up over you. Tomorrow morning when you open your Bible and you just try to find a scripture, something to kind of feed off, to kind of set your focus or, or give you a little fuel for the day, God, God shows up in that moment. You have his attention. You have his favor. So often, I think, in our prayers, you ever feel like this in prayer, we're, we're, we're somehow begging God to do something or begging God to show up or, God, if you'll just show up, God, God, I really need... Yeah, He's there. He, we don't need Him to... to, to we, we don't need to somehow manipulate God to move on our behalf. God wants to. Why? Because God loves you. He desperately loves you. And we need to walk in that revelation that God loves me today, tonight, in church, when I sleep, when I get up in the morning, in the, in, in, in the classroom, in the, uh, in the workplace, God loves me. In my car, in my drive, He loves me. When I have that wrong attitude, God loves me. When I say something I shouldn't say, God loves me. It doesn't depict, it's not depicted, it's not, not determined on what what I say or do or the fact that I feel like I need to do all the right things, I have God's favor. You know, our identity so often, psychologists say, is, is determined by the experiences that we have in life. At least how we view ourselves, our personal identity, how we, our perspective about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. It's determined by what people say. The positive, the negative, when we're rejected, when we're approved of, the times we succeed, the times we fail, all kind of build up to determine our identity, how we view ourselves. But I want you to know this morning, when you came to Christ, He gave you a new identity. You're a new creation in Him. Now, it doesn't matter what people say. Now, let me just be the first to say, I'm affected by what people say. I, I, I want to please people. I do. In the core of my being, I want to please people. So I'm affected by it. But at the end of the day, that doesn't define me. That doesn't define me. Whether, whether I feel like I get a lot of affirmation after I preach today or not doesn't define me. Right? Whether, whether I'm sitting in my office, and I did a few years ago, and a lady say to me in my office, I get nothing when you preach. It doesn't define me. Right? 
It doesn't define me. What people say when I succeed, when I fail, that roller coaster, I just choose not to get on because it does not define me. Let me tell you what defines me. The fact that I'm loved by God. I'm valued by God. I'm his workmanship. I have value that God puts me. I'm his greatest art piece. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He said, he said this. He said, uh, John said, this is what love is. Not that we loved him, but he loved us. Not that we did something for him, but he loved us. My identity is defined in this, that I have a belonging. I have to search for somewhere to fit or belong. I have one's in Christ. I'm, I'm in Christ. His strength is my strength. His peace is my peace. His joy is your joy today. We're in Christ. We walk out of this room, we just choose not to be, not, not to be defined by our bank account, by our social status, by the family we have. We're not defined by the color of our skin. We're not defined by what people say, good or bad. We're not defined by all that. We're defined by this. We're defined by God's work in me. About the relationship he's created me to have with him. And about the destiny that he's appointed me to. That defines us. And because he has lavished, his lavish, excuse me, he's lavished his love on us. Because we walk in his love, and he loves us so de- desperately, because of that, God desires to work through us. Now, he can work however he wants to. He could do whatever he wants to. Think about how he fed these 5,000. You know what he could have done? He could have just snapped his fingers. Boom, they're fed. He could have sent them all down to the water and reach in there and, and, and grab your own fish, and they just reach in there and grab their own fish. He, he could have sent manna from heaven. He could have done, I'm sure, much more creative things than I could think of off the top of my head. He could do it however he wanted to. You know what he do, chose to do? chose to, to, to take what was given to him, bless it, and hand it back to the disciples. God uses people. He does. He uses people. Those times as you read scriptures where he used a donkey to speak. He, he does other things. But throughout church history, throughout, throughout the Bible, more than anything else, God uses people. Why? Because you're his greatest resource. Right? God, it, 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 God created you. God shaped you so that you can make him known. And whatever he's done in you, is doing in you, is not just about you today. Right, the testimony that's being formed in you, it's not just about you. It's about every person you come in contact with. So often I think we kind of get a little myopic in some of that. But what God's doing is certainly about you, but it's also about everybody else. God uses people. Not only does he use people, he uses inadequate people. He could have looked around maybe and found the richest people in that group and said, hey, you know what, let, let, let's just raise some money. Let's take an offering up and get some money together and see if we can go buy these folks some food. He maybe could have looked beyond that. You know, we've got a young boy with some food. That's fine. Let's see what else we got out there. Somebody's got to have some more food than this. We, gotta, we can make this work. No. He used a young boy that we don't know his name. We know nothing else about him. He's not even important enough to be counted in the 5,000. Just an insignificant, inadequate boy. And he used 
some disciples that certainly were not prepared for this whatsoever. They were painfully inadequate. And yet, that's what God loves to work through. One of my favorite scriptures, and maybe because maybe it just brings so much courage to me personally, is found in Acts 4.13. And you can write it down and look back, and I'll just quickly paint the scene for you. Uh, Peter and John are, are walking to prayer. On the way to prayer, there's a crippled man that's there all the time, and he's crying out saying, saying, I need money, I need money, I need money. And, and, and they said, you know what, they stop and say, we, we don't have any money, but let me tell you what we have. Uh, we have the authority of Christ, and they spoke to him and stand up and walk, and all this, this man who's been crippled all his life walks away, and it creates such a, such a um, commotion that he, they begin to preach the gospel, and people are getting touched and transformed, and the religious leaders step up and basically imprison them, and then they bring them before him and have this dialogue with them. And understanding how it's hard in our, in our, um, in our mindset to think about how powerful these religious leaders were. These, these were uh, highly influential, incredibly educated. I mean, the, their whole life was sitting around and just discussing and arguing Scripture. They, were, they, they memorized much of the Old Testament. Well-educated, well-positioned, men of great power and influence. And they're having this dialogue back with Peter and John and and at the end of the dialogue, it says this in, in 4.13. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Don't you love that? They were astonished. Feel God. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Yeah, let that be said about us. Not, not what we can bring to the table, not who we are, not our education. But let them say, you know, that she's been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus. There's something different. They may even not be able to articulate what it is, but there's something different about you. Right? Because God uses inadequate people. And if I'm just completely transparent, as I prepared for this sermon, week out, I thought to myself, and I wrestled with the idea that I got nothing to give. I really did. So week out, I'm thinking, I got nothing. Not that I didn't have a direction of what I was going to preach, nor pages full of notes. And not that I hadn't done this a hundred times before. I just felt like I didn't, you know, you have those moments. You just feel completely inadequate. What do I have to give that's going to be fresh revelation that people haven't heard for, uh, you know, time and time again, familiar scripture, on and on and on. As I kind of wrestled through these feelings, I just realized, you know what? I am inadequate. And that's a good thing. Right? That's a good thing. Because it's really not about me. It's about God. It's about what he wants to do with someone like me. It's what he wants to do with someone like you. And if sometimes if we feel, start feeling adequate, sometimes if we start feeling confident, I think maybe we're not being stretched enough. If we start feeling confident in, in where we are in life, maybe God just wants to stretch us a little more. He, he wants to expand our faith a little more. He, he wants to use us in ways that we haven't seen him use before. God uses people, he uses inadequate people, and he uses adequate people who yield resources that are inadequate. The disciples, when they're sent out on this missionary journey, he says to them, I don't want you to take anything with you at all. I just want you to go. 
Now, I travel some with my work, and when I go, I, I'm, I feel like I'm always prepared. I, you know, I travel, I bring my work clothes, I possibly bring some hangout clothes, dinner at night or whatever. I'll bring some workout clothes, not necessarily because I work out, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> <clears throat> you didn't hear that, right? I bring my you know, laptop and everything I need for, for it. And I'm not even close to being prepared. Rayleigh is the queen. Our, our youngest daughter is the queen of being prepared. She has what I'll call a uh, Mary Poppins bag. And if we're on a trip, it, it's, it, here, this happens multiple times on a trip. You know, I really wish we had a hole punch. Does anybody have a hole punch? Well, we would, Rayleigh, do you have a hole punch? Yeah, do you want the single hole punch or the three hole punch? Which which one do you need? I, I got either one here. Do, 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 do you, we need a Band-Aid, don't you? Do you have a Band-Aid? And I'm going to talk about the little ones. I, well, I never really need a big Oh, yeah, I got that. You need some wrap to bench the thing up. What do you need? It's all in this little bag she always carries. When she was little, we were cleaning up her room. And maybe I've told the story before. We were cleaning up her room, her and I. And she took a little box and she put it in her her sock drawer and closed it. Uh, and I said, darling, what you doing? We don't put, we don't put toys in our, uh, in our sock drawers. You know, come on, darling. Stay with the program. She said, darling, it's not, she said, dad, it's not a toy. It's, it's my, what is it, darling? It's our predicament box. She's little. Your predicament box. Darling, what's a predicament box? Dad, you know, it's a box where if you have a predicament. Can I see it? Sure. She pulls it out, cross top, it says predicament on it. Where'd you know learn this word, darling? It's bad when your six-year-old is more articulate than you. And I said, can I look at it? You know, I didn't want to, if it's private, I don't want, you know, can I see what's in your predicament? Sure. She opens it up, or I opened up. There's a Band-Aid. There's a pen. There's a little thing of Kleenexes. There's a, there's a, a throat lozenger. There's a, you're in a predicament. <laughs> Whatever you need in this little box. When God called the disciples. He said, don't prepare. Not just don't over-prepare. Bring nothing with you. So here's a bunch of disciples where he says, okay, you feed them. And, and they say, you know, what are you talking about? You're talking about half a year's wages. You're talking about maybe in our terminology, if somebody makes $50,000 a year, it's, you know, here's $25,000 to try to give a piece of bread for each one of these, maybe. Number one, we don't have it, but then is that where you want to spend the money if we did? Like, it just didn't even make sense, right? Completely inadequate. Well, go see what you can find. We can find a young boy and take his lunch, take his dinner. Because God uses people that are inadequate. And he uses people that have inadequate resources. Robert Morris was the first uh, Protestant missionary to China. And as often happens whenever you step out to do something great for God, it's challenged, right? So somebody asked him this. Do you really expect to make an impact on that great land? Do you really expect to actually accomplish anything and do anything? His response was, no, sir but I do expect God to. Hudson Taylor, who's a, a missionary that followed, uh, followed Robert Moore, said this. 
He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Isn't that powerful? If we want to be a giant for God, we recognize that it begins when we recognize we're weak. We're inadequate. But that's okay. Because every one of his giants are the same way. Right? Don't have what it takes. I don't have enough resources. I don't have political cloud. I don't have enough in my bank account. Whatever it is, I don't have enough time. Right? We never, none of us ever have enough time. I certainly don't have the talent or skill to, to do what you're asking me to do, Lord. It's men and women who yield themselves to the Lord. Yield their resources. And, you know, and in the process, here's what God wants to do. He simply wants to just explode the box that we put him in. As the disciples walked around, and just I just want, and I, I really look for a picture that tried to capture what 20,000 people would be in that setting, and I really couldn't. But just picture for a moment, you're given a, a basket. That basket has now uh, barely a half a, a, a loaf of bread and about a third of a fish. And he said, go take that group right there. And, and you know, there's about 1,000 to 1,500 over there. Go take that group and feed them. It's in essence what he did. So they have this basket, and they start feeding one at a time. And then they go to the next person, and then they go to the next, and they go to the next. Until not only do they feed everybody, but everybody's completely satisfied. Everybody's full. So much so that when they started back they started collecting all the pieces that were left over of people that couldn't finish their meals. And it filled up, not, uh, it just completely filled their basket up. They left with one thing, they came back with that much more, and a thousand people fed. And the principle here is that God wants to just expand our perspective, our expectation of what He can do. Philip and Andrew's response would be my response. How, Lord? How? We don't have enough money. All we have is a few fish, a little bit of bread. How? That's a wrong question. And, and, and I know that you and I, or at least my mouth speak for us, I do the same thing. My first, God says, go do this. And my first response, well, Lord, how do I do that? How does that happen? Somebody asked me about a position in leadership. I can remember this is, goes back now a number of years ago asked me about a significant place of leadership if I would apply for this role, this position. And I said, it's my 20s, and I said, well, you know, here's all the reasons why it doesn't. And I just went down the list of all the reasons why that's not a good idea. And he looked at me, and, he, and, and I finished by this, and, he said, and I said, and by the way, the position's already closed anyways, it doesn't matter. And he said, I tell you what, if you pray, and you pray with an open heart this time, then, then I'll make sure you, you can go through the process. It just kind of hit me. I, I can spend all day telling you why it doesn't work. But I'm just leaving out the God factor. God, what, what do you want me to do? Are you calling me to go to Ukraine this summer? Well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time off on vacation. I don't, you know, uh, we go through the list. But God, are you calling me this? What, what are you calling me to do? And the next question is not how do I do it, but what if? 
God, what if? What if you gave me a basket and I fed a thousand people? What would, what would happen then? What if? What if you called me Ukraine and, and you provide the money supernaturally and I went and lives were touched and my, my, my life was wrecked? What if? What if you actually did the supernatural in my life and through my life? What if that really happened? God wants to just reshape how we think. We all have a theology that says, you know, you know, God can do it. The question is, do we really believe that God can do it through me? That's really the question. That's really the question. So a couple reminders here, and then we'll just close. Never buy into the lie that what you have is not enough. And never buy into the lie that my problems are too big or too many. Just don't allow that thinking, whether it comes from the enemy, whether it's somebody else that's speaking it into you. How do you really think you're going to make a difference in that land? How, how do you, how, what do you expect to do in China? Don't, don't let that be seeded in your mind. We need to begin to expect God to do more. We need to believe God that he's going he's gonna to break in. And I don't care if you've been praying, because there's stuff that, that, that we've been praying for for years. At moments you feel like that dam's about to crack, and then the next time it seems like it seals back up, and you just think, it doesn't matter if we've been praying and praying and praying and believing and believing and believing. Just keep believing, keep standing, keep pressing, because God is going to show up. Would you stand up with me? You know, one reason that I believe that God created bread, you know, he, he broke the bread, fed the multitude here. One of the reasons I believe God created bread, I mean, not, he created the, the grain and the, the yeast and the, the water and the fire and the human intelligence to actually be able to put all that together. I believe God created bread Help us know what it would be like to really be satisfied in Jesus. You know, good bread, when that just comes out of the oven or you walk to that bake shop, just smells so good. And you just taste in that. It doesn't matter if it's good for you or not. It's just, it just good, you know? Throw a little butter on that. Put a little dip in it. Oh, that's just some good stuff. I really am ending for lunch here in a couple minutes. I believe God created bread, certainly that we can enjoy bread, but I believe God created bread as an illustration to us of how he can satisfy us. The aroma, the taste, how full we can get. This morning, simply want to remind you that God desperately loves you. He really is all that you need. There's nothing that you need beyond God. We can try to create a lot of things, but there's nothing that God cannot provide that you need. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. There's nothing that God cannot provide. He is all that you need. He is the bread that just smells so good and you just want 
to eat off of it and eat off of it and eat off of it. And the beautiful thing about this miracle is the bread never ended. It never run out. It's not like you can exhaust God's resources or, or, or exhaust His compassion in our life, exhaust God's love, exhaust His forgiveness. His provision just continues in your life. Lamentation says His mercies are new every day. There's a fresh provision of whatever you need every day. We wake up in the morning and we just take a fresh bite of that bread. And then we get done with a meeting and we just get fresh by that bread. And we, we have a rough afternoon and we just take a fresh bite of that bread. And whatever you need, God has for you. What's he put in your hands? What does he put in your hands that he wants to multiply? Not just to minister to you, and he will do that in abundance. But he wants to use to minister to others. He wants you to feed others. Would you just extend your hands open? It's a place of surrender. This morning, Lord, we surrender all that we have and all that we are. Lord, we surrender the good, we surrender the bad, and we surrender the ugly. Lord, we surrender it all. Lord, we surrender our past, our present, and our future to you. Lord, it's all yours. We trust you, Lord. We trust you that you're going to take whatever you want to do, Lord, and multiply it. It's going to be the right provision for me, and it's going to minister to people that I'm coming in contact. There's names I don't even know today that you're feeding me, and you're multiplying in my life so that I can be a blessing to others, Lord. And I just open my arms and say, Lord, do it, Father. Use me, Lord Jesus. Use me, Father. Use us, Lord. Or take my small expectations and just blow it out of the water, Lord. surrender to you. In the name of Jesus. And I ask our team, our prayer teams to come forward. And Pastor Todd, would you would you come? As the prayer teams come forward and prepare just to minister, I want to encourage you today and bless you today. If God is doing something in your life, and you know this is the time to, to make that decision to come and have someone agree with you in prayer. Come forward. Let these people pray with you, stand with you, speak over your life. As you leave this place today, I want to remind you and encourage you again of God's great love for you, how much he loves you and wants to work through you. He desires so deeply to work through you, even in your inadequacies, even in those gifts you feel are falling short. God wants to use them. He wants to bless them. He wants to, to move through you in a powerful way. So go this week. Do something amazing for the Lord. Go this week and be a testimony of answered prayer in someone's life. Go this week and let God use you in a new way. As you, as you leave here today to connect with your friends in the gathering place, I just ask that you keep the sanctuary a place of prayer. Keep the sanctuary a place of solitude so those that are coming forward can receive that prayer and that ministry that they need. Have an awesome week. Hope to see you here tonight for soaking prayer. If not, we'll see you next week.